This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hey, it's Annie Grace, and I am answering readers' questions today. And today I have a a question. It says, hi, Annie, quick question. I listen to your podcast often, and I'm not sure if you've answered this question yet. Why would a calm, feel-good feeling cause me to want to drink? I found that when I'm feeling relaxed and comfortable, I tend to crave a drink. I do an awesome job of just noticing this feeling, but I'm wondering if you had any insights into why this is. So this is such a good question because this happens to us not just for being like calm and relaxed, but it can also absolutely happen to us for things like, oh, but I feel so good, I'm, I'm so happy right now, and why do I want to drink when I'm so happy? Or in other instances where we honestly just feel better and then we still want to drink. Like, why is that? That that makes no sense. I don't get it at all. So one of the things that happens is that the brain, uh, alcohol and any addictive substance, one of the reasons they're addictive is because they artificially release high levels of dopamine in the brain. If you've heard anything I've said, you've probably heard me say this a lot of times. And dopamine is the learning molecule. It says, hey, that thing you just did, do that thing again. I want more of that thing. That's really good. And dopamine, in order to get more of that thing, actually has this effect of really imprinting all the circumstances around what got us that thing. So that's why you know a pipe can be a really big trigger for somebody who's addicted to marijuana, or a glass of wine can be a really big trigger for somebody who has been like making wine their vice, or whatever the case is. That's why you know just seeing um, the refrigerator or something can be a really big trigger if you are like you know dealing with food or whatever the case is. Whatever you've been doing to artificially stimulate that dopamine level in the brain, the brain says we want to do more of that. We want to learn this thing. So this circumstance, this situation, this time of day, this object, whether it's a bottle opener or a glass of wine, this route that we drive by the liquor store, this feeling of being calm and relaxed, this feeling of sitting down and putting our feet up after a long day, this feeling of feeling good. You've always drank in this feeling before. You've always given me that dopamine hit. Hey, I want that. And so I'm going to, I'm going to launch a craving or an urge. And that is just what's happening. And that's, I mean, it's relatively simple, but that is always the case. Now, when you stop giving into that craving and urge, when you observe it, when you notice it exactly like you're doing an awesome job, that will lessen and lessen and lessen over time. The brain can learn, the brain can unlearn. It's a really beautiful thing. And so it unlearns this association. And really at the crux of it, that's what it is. It's an association between a situation or a thing, an item, a circumstance, a time of day, and you having a drink. And so that association needs to be uncoupled in the brain, decoupled so that these things can exist separately. And so people say, well, you know, I I don't know why when I'm so happy, I want to drink. Well, this is why, because times in the past when you felt that feeling, when you've been in that circumstance, when you've been in that, you know, relaxing or partying or whatever it is, you've drank. So anything that, like alcohol can be a secondary habit where you couple it onto any other thing you're doing. You're walking in at the end of the day, you pour yourself a drink. You're getting off work, you go to happy hour. You're driving this certain route, you turn into the liquor store, whatever it is. All of these things happen. And then the brain, because of the artificial release of dopamine, it learns it even more intensely. It learns addiction even more intensely. So that's what's happening there. Now, 
Again, the more you keep doing whatever the thing is that you're doing without alcohol, the more that will lessen and lessen and lessen and become less than nothing. Like there's nothing that triggers me, nothing that gives me a craving, nothing that gives me an urge at all anymore. I, I simply have absolutely no desire for alcohol. It takes up zero space in my brain from like a personal, I want to drink it perspective. Obviously I <laughs> do talks like this and all sorts of things, you know, writing and whatnot that that obviously I'm, I'm thinking about alcohol and its effect on people, but from a personal me wanting to drink it, me having any sort of craving or urge of desire, it's, it's just not there anymore because I have done the work of just noticing and allowing those cravings to be. Now, one thing I will say is that we can easily fall into the trap of like, you feel that, you feel that craving, you feel that urge, and we say, oh, I don't want to feel that. So I just try to like railroad it. I could try to go against it. I try to almost use willpower on not feeling my craving because I just become really desperate to not feel that craving. And that doesn't really work over the long term. It's almost like taking a beach ball in the beach and pushing it under the water. And it's still there. That craving is still there but you're just using energy to suppress it. I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to think about that glass of wine. I don't want a glass of wine. No, this is not. No, I feel good. I'm relaxed. And, and you almost create this fight inside yourself where you're using energy to keep that ball under the water. Whereas if you just bring that ball up and look at it and say, okay, this is a ball. That's interesting. Somebody threw me, this is what's right here. This is what this feels like. You know, sometimes I really go into this and explain to my clients like feel how it feels in, in your fingers, you know, feel how it feels in your shoulders, feel how it feels in your stomach, feel if your heart is racing more, feel if you feel a little bit uncomfortable, feel if, you know, a client told me recently, she's like, I start to salivate. Notice that, notice that and just sit with that feeling, but don't drink. And then guess what? Next time you have the skills. So much of what a craving is, is it's fear. We fear this feeling because our brain is literally telling us that thing you did, we need to do that thing again. And by the way, our brains don't really distinguish between food and water and things we need for survival and things like alcohol. In fact, our brains might put more weight on alcohol because something like food or water, it's not going to give us that artificial stimulation of dopamine. And dopamine is really at the source of it for survival, right? So cravings are like, you need to do this thing to survive. So of course they're strong. Of course they're intense. Of course they come up when you say, oh, okay, that's just my brain releasing chemicals. And guess what? Chemicals released in the brain will dissipate in the brain. They will go away. They will be able to like be um, completely over it if you just let it pass. And it might take some time and it might come back, but allowing that to be there peacefully, easily, gently, and then really seeing what it is, it takes all the fear out of it. And suddenly you don't have fear at all. So the other thing that I can suggest, you know, I um, developed something called the ACT technique, and it's awareness, clarity, and turnaround. And I really go deep into this in my book, The Alcohol Experiment. But one of the ways that you can use this basically in an instant, I'll just go through it quickly, is awareness of that feeling of that discomfort, right? Anytime you feel discomfort, emotional discomfort, you feel that awareness. And then in the moment of awareness, you say, okay, what was I thinking? You identify that thought. You want to become aware of what that thought was. And I'm relaxed and I feel good. 
oh, I want wine. What? There's some thought attached to that. Do you think it's going to relax you even more? Do you think you you feel good? So you feel so good, you want to feel even better. I mean, that's very much in human nature. Oh, you know, one M&M tastes good. I want to eat the whole bag. Like we very much, a little of something is good. A lot of something must be better. So a little relaxing feels good. What could make this better? A glass of wine. So do you think, okay, that glass of wine is going to make me feel even better than this? And that's awareness. You just become aware of that thought. And then you go into clarity and clarity you can do a few different ways but clarity is really exploring what that thought is to you so what i like to do with thoughts that are just coming up in the moment is saying how does this make me feel and how does it make me behave right so how does it make me feel well it's it's actually stealing my joy from this moment when i was relaxed just a second ago that's interesting it's making me feel squeamish and uncomfortable it's making me have this intense craving and urge and how's it making me behave well it's distracting me it's taking up a lot of my thought you know it's making me not as happy as i was you know now i'm having to do this oh, that's interesting and so then t is turnaround and you look for a, a new thought but it has to be true. And that's where so many people get the T wrong is that we have this idea of positive thinking. Like if you're, if you don't feel like a success, then put a bazillion post-it notes up on your mirror and say, I am a success and drill it into your head all the time. But here's the thing about that is that it actually does the same thing. It's going directly counter to the, I don't feel like a success. I am a success guess what you've done? You've created a fight inside your brain. <laughs> you've actually created like this bit of just, you know, tussle, this, neural toxicity, if you will, because you, you're actually at odds with yourself. So going directly against it, it doesn't work. So you have to think of a thought that feels better than the thought you were thinking that makes you behave better. So those are the two things, how you feel and how you behave. And so what is that thought? What is that turnaround that you could look for in the moment? And if you are thinking the thought, the original thought we had was, you know, I feel good and, and wine would make it even better then you could look at this and say, okay, well, is that true, right? Like, I feel good, would wine make it better? Yeah, wine might make it better for a minute, but it might make it worse overall. I really like how Brooke Castillo talks about this net negative and net positive pleasure. Like, so the positive from a glass of wine would be, you know, the 20 minutes of the buzz maybe that you get. The negative would be then for two to three hours as your blood alcohol content is falling, you'd feel anxious, uncomfortable, you'd feel tired, lethargic, you'd want more it would actually steal your joy. So that's two to three hours for 20 minutes and you net that out, you net that pleasure out is what she says. And then you actually have a net negative pleasure from that glass of wine. It's like, oh, okay, so that's net negative. So actually I can say a glass of wine would make me feel better. And then the thought, instead of going directly against that, I just tell myself the truth. Yeah, a glass of wine might make me feel better for 20 minutes, but then I'm gonna feel like crap for the next two to three hours. And then you do, what I call the bonus C, and this is like check your work. So it's A, C, T plus C, that bonus C. You say that thought, how does that thought make me feel and behave? If I say, oh yeah, a glass of wine may, you know, give me a little bit of a buzz for 20 minutes, but then I'm not gonna feel great for two to three hours. Oh, okay, well, it's not as attractive anymore. You know, like that makes me feel like, all right, well, of course I'm not gonna sacrifice two to three hours of feeling great and relaxed for the next 20 minutes and all of a sudden that entire thing lets go of you. So the ACT technique, honestly, it can be used for any thought that you have. It can be used for you know, a thought about any negative emotion. Just look for the thought and then just say, how is this making me feel and behave? That's clarity. Turn it around with something you believe and then check your work and ask yourself if that new thought makes you feel and behave in a different way. And that can be for anything. But again, you crave a drink, 
when you're feeling relaxed because the brain does that. It wants a little of something, it wants a lot, and that's combined with the habitual nature that you've coupled whatever this relaxation thing is, uh, whether it's sitting on your porch or whatever it is for you with alcohol. And it just takes time to decouple that, but it absolutely happens. And there's so much hope here because life without any cravings, oh, it's, it's just really, really a beautiful thing. And I will say any cravings for alcohol, I certainly still do have cravings for cookie dough. <laughs> working on those next. So I hope you guys all have an awesome day. Let me ask you a question. What is better than change? <laughs> Lasting change, of course. And if you've had trouble making change stick, either with alcohol or in any other area of your life, you are in for a treat. I created the 100 Days of Lasting Change to ensure that we don't just change for a moment, but we truly transform for a lifetime. And this program is so close to my heart. Thousands of people have been through it and their results are incredible. But don't take my word for it. Check it out at thisnakedmind.com forward slash 100 days. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.